0: sour, negative, nasty thing. And what we want to talk about throughout this series is the idea that the gospel really is for everyone and this sort of propensity that we have to make it for less than everyone. And that is the challenge that Peter is dealing with. I'm going to start out actually in Galatians 2. We'll see, we'll get back to Galatians 1 in a minute Paul is so worked up in Galatians 1, he doesn't even really explain the problem until the second chapter. He just starts yelling at them, and then he goes back to deal with uh, why they're upset. And so I'm going to go to Galatians 2. He's talking here about how he became an apostle or a teacher and how he started working with Gentiles and how he and the Jerusalem church had talked together about this. So, on the contrary to something that came in verse 6, they, the Jerusalem church, recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, Excuse me, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James Cephas, and he goes back and forth between Cephas and Peter. Cephas is sort of the, uh, the Hebrew name for Peter. Uh, James, Cephas, and John, uh, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. So Paul says this is the the setup. This is the world that we live in. Early on, the church had kind of decided there would be a group of leaders, particularly the, the 12 apostles, uh, led by Peter, James, and John, who were going to be, and at this point, it's, it's the other James, not uh, the first James has died. This would be James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, these three men and the other apostles are going to really spearhead the movement to help bring Jewish people into the church and to become Christians. And Paul says it was sort of given me, whenever Paul says the grace given me, he often means the ministry of reaching the Gentiles. He says, we just kind of agreed on territory. They would take care of the Jewish people. I'd take care of the Gentiles. And that's kind of the way we'd split it up. Barnabas is there with him as well. And he says, we, we were good. Everything was functioning well. I was doing my outreach. They were doing my outreach and we were all just being one big happy family. And this operates pretty well. If you read the book of Acts, this is exactly the divide. The first half of the book talks about Peter and his work in in Judea. And then midway through the book, it transitions to Paul and follows Paul out through the world of the Gentiles. But it doesn't stay good for long because eventually they come into conflict as they're doing this. Uh, Oh, yes, if you don't know Greek. So Paul, um, sorry, yeah, Paul. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah. These are icons. So uh, this is Paul. Paul is almost always um, drawn as bald. From what we know, he was bald and had a crooked nose and was very short. He was a very uh, unappeasing man from what we have in church history. So this is Paul. Uh, This is uh, a pie symbol, right? P-A-U-L-O-S, Paulos. And over here, you have P-E-T-R-O-S, Petros, Peter. So, there you go. All right, Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We've talked about this uh, passage before uh, a little bit in the feast, but uh, what we have here is a really bad potluck situation, okay? Okay. Um, for a while here, these Church of Antioch, you have had the Jewish and Gentile believers just living with one another and operating fine with one another. And the sense that we get is that they have been probably eating whatever they want to eat, right? Um, bacon-wrapped scallops are available at the church potluck. There's no reason to worry about it anymore because the Jewish concerns about both pork and shellfish are not there. I think this is true because when Paul confronts him, he says to Peter, you're a Jew, but you live like a Gentile. What does it mean to live like a Gentile? I don't think that's, you know, like sexual infidelity or something. I think it's that Peter's not following dietary laws and other things like that. And Paul says, you've been living like a Gentile, but all of a sudden, some folks that know James, some of these Jewish Christians come up from Jerusalem, and the second that they show up, You stop eating with Gentiles, you stop being their friend, you stop living the lifestyle you were living, and you all of a sudden become this hardcore um, conservative guy who won't even sit at a table with Gentiles because Gentiles are unclean. And he goes, what is that about? It's a fascinating thing because it shows us that even Peter can be guilty of uh, peer pressure, right? That Peter's willing to live one way, until all of a sudden somebody comes into town who is um, kind of like his old way of life. And they go, well, Peter, I mean, really, the Gentiles? And he starts to retreat back. And Paul says, even Barnabas gets so caught up in this thing. And so what happens is instead of the church functioning as a multi-ethnic group, they slowly start to form into these cliques. And there starts to be a question of if can these Gentiles really be Christians? Uh, it's important to see what the divining line is here. They're kind of asking a question that we could sort out into two questions that I think kind of fit together. They're sort of asking, what does it look like for someone to be a follower of God and you know, be part of the community of God? And what does it look like for someone to be right with God? And those two things go hand in hand, right? There's the idea that God is not so much interested in saving individuals as in saving his people. And so in order to be in a right relationship with God, you've got to be part of the community. In order to be part of the community, you've got to be right with God. And so they're asking the question of what do those people look like? How do they act? What do they do? What are their defining characteristics? And some of these men from James want to make the defining characteristics Moses stuff. Now this is going to be really important as we go on in Galatians to kind of sort out what's going on here. Because... It is very specifically the idea of Mosaic law, the idea of things that make uh, Jews particularly Jewish, right? Um, These are not things that um, are commandments so much to Abraham or commandments to Joseph or that would have been anything before the time of Moses. They are defining what it looks like to be part of the people of God by the law of Moses. And so they're looking at things like Uh, what do you eat? What is your, you know, what are your, your, what's your diet like? Are you eating foods that are considered unclean? They're talking about things like keeping the Sabbath. Are you taking Saturdays off or are you working? Because God says in the law of Moses, 10 commandments, take off the Sabbath. Um, they're also talking about circumcision. That's going to be a huge one here. Uh, are the men in your family circumcised or are they not? Because that's a huge part of the law of Moses. Um, there's other little things like purity rituals and, uh, temple sacrifice and some other things that would have been, um, in the mix, but probably less prominent. And what's happening is this group from James says, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to know what a picture of a Christian looks like, it is a man who is circumcised and doesn't break the dietary laws and keeps the Sabbath and does all these things to look Jewish. And all of you Gentiles must not be part of God's people because you're not behaving those ways. And Paul is not going to have this. Paul says, no, it is not. That is not how we know what people look like. The only way you can define what a Christian looks like is by saying, do they trust Jesus? All right. Faith in Jesus or the faith of Jesus. There's kind of debates here about how we translate this phrase. But generally, the concept is, do you trust Jesus? That is how you define God's people. And so these Gentiles that are, you know, eating crustaceans and aren't circumcised, they're just as much God's people as these Jewish guys are because they have the same faith in Jesus. And this is a really important point because you don't have to culturally be anything to have faith in Jesus. Right? This is a baptism ceremony from India. And these people eat very different than us. They dress different than us. You can just look at the picture and you can tell this is not what somebody generally walking down the streets of Providence would look like. But that's okay because they have the same faith in Jesus that we have. And so it doesn't matter what they look like culturally. It doesn't matter how they're culturally um, getting along because the gospel is for everybody. For people like that, for people like us, for people like... All sorts of people. And Paul is so upset about this that, as I said earlier, he's getting really uh, angry. Uh, let me try to reread verses 15 and 16 of, of Galatians 2 uh, and just sort of help us define these things. It's helpful to remember that gospel means good news. It's helpful to remember that Christ means Messiah or the anointed one. Uh, and I think in Galatians is appropriate, whenever you see works of the law, to think about mosaic jewish stuff okay so who uh we who are jews by birth and not sinful, sinful gentiles know that a person isn't made right with god because they're circumcised and keep the dietary laws and all of that stuff they're made right with god by trusting jesus the messiah so we too have trusted jesus that we could be made right with god by trusting him and not by circumcision and the other Jewish things that we did. Because via G- um, because it is, uh, through Jewish piety, no one was made right with God. It is just faith in Jesus. Now, uh, let's get to the anger part. So this is uh, what... Paul is seeing the situation, and he's really upset, and this is how he, he starts. Galatians 1, 1 through 5, he manages to keep a semblance of kindness. Hey, it's good to talk to you. This letter is to you. I thank the Lord for you, that kind of stuff. And then in verse 6, he goes, But I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is very clear here. He's like, listen... Even if an angel showed up to you and started to share to you a different kind of good news, don't believe him because it's not good news. The only good news is that God has welcomed everyone. Uh, this uh, connects to what we talked about with this bigger picture of Scripture the last month or so, where we talked about uh, the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, where he says, that I will through you bless all nations. Paul sees these people as changing the all nations to some nations again. Instead of expanding from just the chosen people of Israel to all the world, they're trying to jam that right back in the package, right? Um, Nowadays, we have this, uh, have you heard about these mattress companies that ship you mattresses in like a little box, and you open the box, and it becomes a mattress, right? And they always say that if you don't like it, you can return it. And it's like, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get that thing, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, we're going to origami the thing back into the box? And this is kind of what Paul is saying that they're doing. God has opened up to all people of the world, all the Gentiles and everybody else. And then now here's these people that are trying to shove it all back into the little box to kind of to re-sew the curtain in the temple that God had ripped in part. And Paul says, no, we are not doing that. We are not going to that place. You cannot require these Gentiles to look culturally like you before they're accepted by God because that is not good news at all. It's really interesting. I think the next verse, I want to kind of highlight it so I kind of put it by itself. Uh, Galatians 1 verse 10. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's why I find this interesting. A lot of times in our modern discussions of the church and how open the church is and how willing the church is to engage with people that aren't like them, um, there's sometimes sort of this suggestion that the more open you are, the more people-pleasing you are, right? Right? Well, you just don't respect God's love enough, or God's law enough, and, you know, yeah, people need to make sure that they follow these certain rules and sort of look this certain way, and if you really loved God and his law, then you would be far less of a people pleaser and so willy-nilly about who you're welcoming in. And Paul puts the phrase completely in the opposite way. He says, you know what people pleasing looks like? People pleasing means making The religious friends that you have that want to be exclusivistic, okay, uh, helping them do that. Being people-pleasing is to take those that want to shut up the doors and turn it into a little social club and say, okay, that's fine. If you want to please God, you have to continue to say that no cultural difference should get in the way of someone becoming to know Jesus. And it's fascinating to me that often the debates that we have about how open or closed we are as a community, the modern church often flips this around that people pleasing is just being willy nilly and welcoming everyone. But Paul goes, no, no people pleasing is closing up the doors so the people inside feel comfortable. And it's fascinating to me that that is the perspective that Paul comes through. Um, as we get kind of to the end of this discussion, um, the main point here that is pretty simple is that the gospel is supposed to be for everybody and that we if if the apostle peter after all that he had been through could still be guilty of starting to close himself off to others it is just such a trap that we are so tempted to fall into we are just so prone to start to close up the doors of our churches to make them feel comfortable and safe and exactly like we expect them to be, to kind of create a culture that people kind of have to vibe with or else they're really not welcome. Uh, often we don't do it as explicitly as this. Uh, sometimes it's more nefarious. And usually, to be fair, I don't think many people go out going, how can I make my church more exclusivistic of people it shouldn't exclude, right? I don't, I don't think people try to do that. But I think it's something that can really naturally happen. And it's kind of a constant vigilant thing, a thing that requires diligence, that we always create a culture that says we want to welcome in everybody. That this is for everybody. I think it's important to notice that the ways that the Galatian church was being exclusivistic were not bad things, okay, if it's these law, law of Moses things that they were using to divide themselves from others, these are things that God gave the Jewish people. These are things that were part of Levitical laws where God said, be holy because I am holy, right? And this is a tension that all people of faith have to deal with of while we value holiness, right? We sang holy, holy, holy this morning. We value this idea of being holy and distinct, that there are times where that desire for holiness can become a law that we use to exclude other people. And Paul says, no, do not do this. To the point that Paul becomes a bit of a radical. Paul will eventually say, circumcision is useless. And if you're a first century Christian, you're pulling open the scroll of Leviticus, right? The only Bible you've got. And you're going, ah, this does not say it's useless. And he goes, no, 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 it is. Because that that form of holiness, that legalistic holiness that you are pursuing, that desire to be made right by God by checking off these boxes is ultimately closing the greater truth that it is faith in Jesus and not keeping any of those things that make you right with God. And we are so easy to fall into the trap of saying, yeah, look, following Jesus looks like and adding new checkpoints and new list points. And I think Paul would go, no 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 it is faith in christ that's it stop putting this other stuff there because so often those other even if they're well-meaning those other things are attempts to put restrictions on god's people and in the response to that paul says that is not good news at all if it's not for everybody then it's not good news all right um, that is all i have today We will be walking through Galatians here for a few weeks, but feel free to ask some questions because Galatians is a book that we interpreted one way in Protestantism for a very long time, and I think we're starting to come to kind of a new understanding, and so um, I'm not trying to lead your questions. But anyways, if you have any questions, please ask away. Yeah. 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 You may have noticed today, we talked about faith, um, uh, works of the law, and I started talking about Mosaic law stuff, right? Often, you probably, somewhat, some of you have probably heard, well, what Paul is saying here is that we are saved by grace and not by works of merit, right? That This is the whole thing. That Galatians is works of merit versus grace. And I think Paul agrees that we are saved by faith, by grace and not by works of merit, but I don't think that's what he's talking about in Galatians. Um, traditionally, we have those two categories, works and grace, or you know, works and faith. And what happened is uh, Martin Luther in the 15th century was coming up against a sort of Catholic doctrine at the time that tended towards meritocracy. And so to fight that, he naturally took books like Galatians and Romans that had conversation about work versus faith, and he said, well, my opponents are teaching works righteousness and I'm teaching grace. And Paul's opponents were teaching something called works of the law and he was saying faith in, in Jesus. He must have been fighting the same fight I'm fighting, right? And he sort of applied those scriptures to his situation, which is actually pretty decent theology for his day. What happened? <laughs> and if you know history, Martin Luther ignores James. So, um, so uh, what we... What what has happened in recent years from a lot of scholars, it, the biggest problem is in order for all of that to work, in order for Galatians to be about works of the law, uh, meritorious works versus grace, you have to have a form of Judaism that taught works righteousness, right? Because Paul is this Christian believer of grace that's fighting this Jewish system of works righteousness. The problem is when you read first century Jewish literature, No one teaches works righteousness. And so now suddenly Paul is fighting this Jewish system of works righteousness that only existed in Christian churches but didn't exist in Judaism at large. And it's like, wait a second, what's going on? And when we start to read it, we see that Judaism of the first century believed in grace just as much as Christianity of the first century did. And suddenly that works grace thing starts to fall apart because... You start to see that Lutheran reading of the Jewish Christians as kind of a straw man. Now that straw man looks exactly like the Pope of 1485, which is very convenient for you know for Luther. But um, and it just one other little piece there. There is a general anti-Semitism of the time of Luther that makes it easier to describe the Jews as these terrible works righteousness people because nobody is standing up to say, hey, that's not fair to to Jewish people. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, I'm personally of the opinion, people differ on this, I'm of the opinion that all of the New Testament is very occasional, even the Gospels to a degree, that they are written to a particular people at a particular time with a particular set of problems, right? And so we always had to be really careful then about how we apply them. Um, now, to be fair, I should say to be fair to Luther, I don't think that Luther applied Galatians in his day in a way that was really exactly what Paul was doing, but I think he was being creative and using a passage about exclusivism. Um, he, he was, he, I, I don't disagree with his points, and I think that he was probably using the scriptures in a creative way. It's just not a very exegetically faithful way. And I think that's, I think sometimes it's okay. I think sometimes God gives us uh, passages that have multiple uh, ways that they can be applied. The problem is that we kind of, Protestantism took that whole hog. And so instead of going, oh, that was Luther's application of a more general principle, we go, oh, no, Luther totally exegeted that passage exactly the way Paul meant it. And then we see, we get a problem. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And I find Paul inconsistent on this myself. There's kind of the sense of, yeah, the Jews can continue following Jewish customs and the Gentiles don't. As long as you don't bind it, you're good. But then when you ask Paul, what do you think of circumcision? And he goes, it's useless. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's a little further from, hey, it's good for these guys, but not these guys. You know, like, it goes further than that. And some of these things... I, and, you know, there's disagreement in scholarly circles. As I read Galatians, dietary laws is one of these. Paul, and I think that Paul gets to this when he talks about food sacrifice to idols in First Corinthians. And he talks about, you know, when I'm with the Jews, I live as a Jew. And when I'm with the Gentile, I live as the Gentiles. I think some of the stuff, Paul says, I'm a Jew and I grew up not eating these foods. But you know what? There was the whole sheet thing and Cornelius and Peter and Jesus called all foods clean. And so I eat whatever I want to. And Paul, as a Jew, has chosen to jettison those. I don't think he would force anybody else to eat not kosher food, but I think he might suggest that they're foolish for caring.